welcome to Head of the Class, a podcast produced by Our Schools USA. We are Christina Gagne, the former school board member, and Christy Hurst, a former teacher and current public school parent. We are living in some strange times, but just when you think things with Moms for Liberty cannot possibly get worse, they do not disappoint. So we are talking about Moms for Liberty's latest controversial tweet, which we will read verbatim after um, giving the ramp up. You cannot make this stuff up, but it is really dangerous. Um, the White House, through uh, the POTUS Twitter account, this is the official president account from President Biden, posted a tweet on July 24th, which read, quote, mental health care is health care. That's why I'm proud to have released a new national strategy to transform how we understand and address mental health in America, training more providers, improving access to care, and building healthy environments that promote mental health, end quote. Let's just make it clear. Literally, nowhere in this tweet does it mention any schools, public schools, private schools, K-12 schools, colleges, zero schools are mentioned in this tweet. So Moms for Liberty, in I think one of the most Moms for Liberty fashions, if you ever go on their Twitter account, responds. Start of quote, mental health care is health care, Mr. President. That's why it has no place in public schools, end quote. So I want to emphasize the no was capitalized because they want to really emphasize <laughs> no place in public schools. And then appended to this tweet was the hashtag parental rights, their favorite phrase and their favorite hashtag on all of their content. So this happened on July 24th. The next day, another Twitter account replies to this Moms for Liberty tweet and basically asks, you know, read what you wrote here. Like, do you appreciate what you're saying? Giving Moms for Liberty a little space to say, okay, maybe we can walk this back. No, they double down, which now is clearly their favorite thing to do. What do they respond with? How do they respond? Start of quote, yes, period. Healthcare has no place in public schools, period, end of quote. This, I, it's what they always do. They always kind of double down at first. Um, like the conversation about the primary purpose of public schools is an important one right now in America. So any healthcare being um, sanctioned by public schools should also be discussed. Many parents are concerned that there are adults in schools dealing with their child's mental and physical health that are not licensed or authorized to do so. Did you know not every public school in America even has a school nurse? The percentage of public schools with a full-time nurse increased by four percentage points between 2007 and 2008 and 2015 and 2016, 48 to 52 percent, as did the percentage with either a full-time or part-time nurse. 78 to 82 percent, end quote. Yes, that was another tweet in the same couple of days from the Moms for Liberty Twitter account, basically trying to walk back what they said, because the response to their health care and mental health care has no place in public schools was outrageous. And clearly there's going to be some form of response from adverse political interest to Moms for Liberty. But I don't even think Moms for Liberty like understood how much their tweet would take people by surprise. Uh, yeah, like, um, I don't even know how or why they made the leap from this general statement from the White House to public schools. Like, the tweet in response to Biden's plan to improve mental health care generally. 
Yes, I still have no idea how this tweet was remotely related to the White House tweet. Who knows? And sometimes with Moms for Liberty, I just have to raise my hands and ask, like, what is happening? But, Christy, you know, we saw this coming. If you trust in news media, they have started to attack healthcare and public schools in all shapes and sizes for the past two years. But the irony, oh, my gosh, the irony. These same parental control groups were screaming, and I mean literally, screaming about student mental health care and the schools being closed. And they were so loud about that during the pandemic and in the year after the pandemic. But now these same groups, Moms for Liberty and adjacent groups, are now saying we don't need mental health care in schools or any health care at all. So cutting all health care in schools, it kind of might be unclear what that means to everybody. So we're going to tackle this piece by piece. Yeah, so I want to give some quick examples, and this is just sort of our jotting down a couple examples, but we have a whole laundry list that we'll be addressing through our podcast and other materials. Here's an example. We have a national opioid crisis, and Narcan-related drugs are on public school campuses to be administered. Yep, that's healthcare. Disability services for children, that's healthcare. Special ed services, that's healthcare. The school nurse administering asthma medication, that's healthcare. The skinned knee, inevitably, the small injuries that happen day to day at school, that's healthcare. So we have a really long list of things that impact kids and parents every single day that would qualify as healthcare. But our first piece is the one they directly attacked, and that's mental health care in our schools. So to help us unpackage this is Amini Sanadi, a regional director for the National Association of Social Workers and current social worker from one of the largest school districts in the country. Amanise earned her undergraduate degree at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, and her master's in social work at the University of California, Los Angeles. She is a licensed clinical social worker who joins us today to share her subject matter expertise. Amanise, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here with us. We really appreciate it. So, all right, let's start with um, question one. Let's get your quick hot take response to this latest Moms for Liberty tweet and their platform position on mental health care in schools. Why do they want students to die? Like, I, I don't understand why they want more students to die, because that is what is going to happen if we actually did that. I I it's dangerous. Like you said, it's dangerous. So that's my hot take. Okay. Number two, can you give us like the broad picture? Give us a 30,000 foot view of mental health services in your average public school. Well, in our average public school, we are struggling to uh, meet the needs of the students and to even have the amount of staff to fulfill those needs. So it looks something like this. You'll probably have someone there who takes the referrals um, for the students who are chronically absent because oftentimes if students are chronically absent, that is a symptom that something else might be going on that they might need help with. And you might have, that would be one person who might also be the same person who is doing some groups on campus to address some of the various uh, mental health needs or socio-emotional learning, whatever it is, they are also also usually the same person. And then you might have someone that pops in a couple times a week, if you're lucky, that might be there to do some counseling and help in the counseling office. If there is an office, not all sites have it. And lastly, I think maybe once a week, maybe once a month. It just depends on what the needs are. And if there are enough people to, to do uh, the work, you'll have a psychologist who will generally take the referrals for those who are uh, going to get diagnosed for some sort of learning disability or something in the scope of the psychological practice, that, of the work that they do for the assessments. 
And that's about it. So it's, it's a little bit, it's a little, it's a small and mighty team usually, but that's the general way it looks for, um, for, for a public school. And in some respects, are these services voluntary? Yes. Yes, absolutely. They are, um, often voluntary, but they are also referred. So Under did you want me to talk a little about what that would look like or just answering? Yeah. It? Yeah. Maybe just okay. Give like maybe just give us an idea of, you know, how students come to you and how parents are involved. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's actually something really, really interesting. I'm glad you asked that because one of the few things that came with the pandemic that was a positive thing, one of the trends we're seeing is that more parents are asking for mental health services. They realize that the pandemic was detrimental to their students' mental health. I mean, it was detrimental to everybody's mental health. It was a, it was a trauma that we all endured together and we're still reeling, uh, the, the aftermath of that. So what's really nice that has, that did happen is we are seeing, uh, parents from communities even that don't usually seek mental health services are actually asking for mental health services. So that's some of the, the, the self-referring we're seeing. We're seeing students popping in just to check in and looking for support. Maybe they're having a mental health crisis. Maybe they're having anxiety. Maybe they're having depression. All of these things which have drastically increased. So having that ability to have someone to pop in and check in with to help, uh, help them navigate what they're going through. Uh, those are what the self-referrals kind of look like. And then in terms of those who are not self-referred, we get the referrals coming from the teachers, from the administrators, uh, often sometimes from outside sources if they had sought services on the outside and they needed follow-up. So, But generally from the teachers and the administrators is where we usually get the most uh, referrals. Um, so that, that's, that's what it looks like as a snapshot. Thank you. And I know that you have, you know, what you're experiencing in your day to day and your expertise in this field, you know, within the district you work in. But I also know you're a regional director for the National Association of Social Workers. So what are you and the association seeing as emerging trends that may be alarming to our parents and other listeners? Suicidal ideation, I think, is one of the biggest trends we're seeing right now. And it's happening as early as elementary school. And that is one of the scarier things, I think, as a parent myself, to know that it, this is happening. And we don't have we, we don't have the, uh, the amount of mental health professionals to really adequately address them to the, to, to the need that they are, to, to the need that they require. So when you're constantly, it's, it's a constant crisis that's happening. We're seeing a lot more crises. And like I mentioned before, the anxiety and the depression is going way up. So when you're constantly getting these emergent situations and tr in addition to that homicidal ideations, when you're getting these sort of scary type situations referred to you, we are inundated with those. So it's a constant crisis after crisis, putting out fire after fire kind of work, as opposed to doing the support for the school and for all the students in a way that we would like to see. So really just taking a, advantage of all the resources that we do have, the limited resources and spreading them extremely thin. And that's kind of what we see happening right now. And let's for argument's sake say that mental health services were just removed from schools tomorrow. Like what would that mean for students and what would that mean for families? Well, um, one of the things I also that we're seeing a lot, the, the social media, the cyber bullying, this is happening very intensely. And I also wanted to just uh, 
mentioned psych hospitalizations as well. Psych hospitalizations and actual completed suicides. I, I guess I should spill over from the last question. These are things we're seeing happening and you're not hearing it in the paper. You're not hearing it in the news. In fact, we're not even sending these sort of announcements. Um, there are privacy issues, so we have to be very careful with this information. But there is so much of it that it's really impossible to keep up with. And we are doing our best to try and support what is a growing problem uh, much different than the stuff that we grew up with. So that's just the, the state of things right now. So if we took mental health professionals away, we wouldn't have first-line defense to support this or first-line support for our students. And what you're going to be seeing is you're going to see these crises left to uh, the administrators, left to the teachers to handle when they should be there to teach. They should be there to run and support the school. They are not trained in the way that mental health professionals are to assess and triage appropriately. So you're going to see constant referrals out into the community to resources that they call them a pet team, for example, the psychiatric evaluation teams that are going to come to the campuses when we already don't have enough of those to fulfill the needs as it is. And then what ends up happening is we're seeing more psych hospitalizations in facilities where we don't have enough room to support the need. So it ends up, it'll end up being a trickle effect when literally as a result, you'll have more deaths on campus because we cannot get to these emergent situations in the way that we need to. And just for a little more elaboration, do you think that would affect like the safety of our school campuses at all? Absolutely. It's going to make for a less, a far less safe situation. All of our students' lives will be at more risk. And because for, for the reason that we just don't have the people who are there to offer the support to address the situations in the way that they need to be addressed. You're also going to see more teachers leaving because we already have a, a struggle right now to keep students, uh, to, to keep the profession going. We don't have enough in mental health care. We don't have enough in our teachers because you, what we're seeing is that they're dealing with these situations that they shouldn't have to deal with. And they're just leaving because it's no longer safe for them to be there anymore. So you're going to, it's unsafe for the teachers. It's unsafe for the students. And by removing the people who are trained to do, uh, to, to assess and triage in a way that, that is necessary, you're not going to be able to keep everyone safe. And that is a very scary thought as a mother, as a professional, as, as someone who, who really deeply cares about our, what's happening to our students as it is today. Oh, well, Amanise, thank you so much for sitting with us and sharing your expertise. We really appreciate it. Of course. I feel like I only touched the surface because this is a very uh, important, a critically important topic. And we're literally talking about life and death matters of our students. So thank you. I, I hope I did give a little bit of uh, light to to what may, may be a very dark issue to to emphasize the need for mental health professionals and for health, <laughs> health professionals as a whole in our, in our schools. So I think a question that, and, you know, we always try to avoid what I call insider baseball, where, you know, we are in the thick of the public school information and, and the public school battles that are going on right now, but not everybody is. And so I want to step back and just quickly, as we wrap up, ask a question um, to you, Christy, and, and to me as well. You know, which is, you know, where is the drive to cut these services coming from? So, like, what prompts a group like Moms for Liberty or another group or a local parent group to make a statement like we don't want health care in public schools or mental health care in public schools? 
Oh, that's really, um, I think that's a long and windy path to try to lead people down to explain. But I think the genesis is probably that the handful of districts who have partnered with providers to provide healthcare services on campuses, which campuses that need it, and the community has a desire for that. Um, and you'll see it in a lot of like low income, high needs areas where there's a lack of access to healthcare. It's like a major issue for students and families. And so I think that they sometimes twist what's happening in some of these schools to mean something else and use that as a way to say, we don't want any healthcare on campus. Um, I, it's, it's very difficult to get to the root of what they would mean by this. Um, I, th- I think there is some larger, it kind of fits back to this narrative of this top-down um, being fed, manufactured issues to keep to like capitalize on parents' fears. I, I think it kind of ties back into that too. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll be covering sort of where this came from. I think today we wanted to address, you know, mental health in our public schools, you know, what cutting those services would mean. Um, we're going to spend more time discussing, you know, if we were to cut other types of healthcare in public schools, you know, how that would impact you and your families day to day. You know, we're just scratching the surface on this issue. This is a really tricky one. So we want to make sure we dedicate good time to getting through all pieces of this. There's so much more to unpack. But I am sure there'll be another tweet posted for Moms for Liberty before we even end this on another topic. This has been Head of the Class, a podcast produced by Our Schools USA. Once again, we are Christina Gagne, the former school board member. And Christy Hurst, a former teacher and current public school parent. And always remember, don't get mad. Get organized.